Hello and welcome to the May 13th, 2018 Mother's Day edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. My name is Mr. Joe. This is my neighborhood. This is my life. But this is our podcast journey. Welcome to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. everybody and welcome to another edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. It's great to have everybody here today and of course it's wonderful to be with you. So, special edition. That was fun. I enjoyed that. Plan that out. Usually I just write the date down on a piece of paper because if I don't, I can't remember it. And I believe it's part of my obsessions and compulsions when at least it comes to this podcast. I believe, or at least I'm obsessed with the fact that whatever numbers I have to remember, in this case, the date, I'm going to forget no matter what it is. And believe me, I've tried that with a multitude of number-related things. Uh, Copy a code, phone number. Forget about numbers. Spell a name. Doesn't matter how many times I say it over and over in my head. I'll just forget it. And I will force myself to forget it. Because I'm obsessed with the fact that I can't remember those things. So what happens is, uh, in order for me to correctly dictate the date on my podcast and not do 15 to 20 different takes... I must write the date down. Even if I was to get the date right and not write it down, I believe my mind would tell me after dictating the date that I was wrong in doing so and I would probably never be able to concentrate on my podcast moving forward. So I always write down the date and it was kind of fun to say the Mother's Day edition Because as you all know, it is Mother's Day today, so let's get that out of the way right now. I want to wish all the moms out there a happy Mother's Day, all the moms that are listening to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast, and there are quite a few of you out there. For all of those that are celebrating this day and have a mom or a grandmother or a wife that is a mom, be kind to these people. It is their day. And they deserve this day. And I think it's a very special day. I am not a big fan. And please don't get angry with me and judge me for this. Things like Valentine's Day. I know my wife gets very into that stuff. I've never been a big fan of Valentine's Day. Uh, Halloween, eh, I could live without it. I know it's great for the kids. The kids love it. But I could live without it. Mother's Day, though, Mother's Day is a special day. It really is. And, and believe me when I tell you, it used to be a lot more special for me when I didn't know what a wackadoo my mother was. Uh, and that shouldn't change things because she's still my mother. But unfortunately, what it's been broken down to now is, like every other event in my life, Mother's Day is a struggle in terms of relationships and visiting and doing what's right and wrong and 
badgering and asking questions and messages after messages. You would think my mother would get it right after last time. But no, three phone calls this week. Are you coming on Mother's Day? Now, here's the other interesting thing. Today is actually my wife's birthday as well. It's her first Mother's Day. She has celebrated Mother's Days before, but as a stepmom. Believe it or not, there were a few Mother's Days whereas my children would not be with their mom, my ex-wife. They would spend it with me. I should just go to show you how that relationship is with my children and her. But at least this point, this Mother's Day, uh, I made it a point to have my children spend it with their mother. It was not the entire weekend, though. My son came with us to a birthday party that was actually in another state. But I'm I'm getting off subject here. I'll get to that in a second. Uh, it is my wife's birthday and her first Mother's Day, so it is a very special day. But my mother, no regard for that. No regard. Doesn't care. Just wants to know if we're coming, when we're coming, what time we're coming. I never said I was coming. Now, my wife, as mean and as nasty, as rude, as insulting, condescending as my mother has been to my wife because of the type of woman that my wife is, she had it planned all along in her head that somehow, some way, we were going to see my mother today out of respect. And she's probably right. She's still my mom. She's a, she's a wackadoo, but she's still my mom. And again, several messages this week asking. And again, I had a reason of not getting back to her. I was doing extremely unwell this week from a physical standpoint. I believe I told everybody that, what had been going on with my ear. Well, that unfortunately did not cease and, and uh, desist, so to speak. It went on and on, and it's still going on. So I know I had claimed I was not going to see a doctor, but it got so bad that I actually went to a walk-in urgent care center. And I had my ear checked out because I, I just needed to ensure that it was not an ear infection. I was convinced, absolutely convinced, although I had no other signs and symptoms. I was convinced that this ear pain was an ear infection. So it looked, <laughs> by the way, wow, you know, you walk into an urgent care center and it's just amazing. The doctor's assistant or the PA comes in first and she asks you a little bit about what's going on. Doesn't really care too much because she's not the real doctor. Whatever she's going to ask you, she's just going to put down on a piece of paper to let the doctor know and then the doctor's going to ask you again anyway. So the PA says to me, you know, what are you feeling? And before she leaves, okay. She's at her little computer and she says, what kind of medicine are you on if you are on any? I would imagine you're not on. I said, well, you imagined wrong. And it was funny because as I'm reading on my list of medications, she, how do you spell that? You know, well, what is that? And she couldn't even spell Lamictal. And I don't, I'm not making fun of her. A lot of people couldn't spell Lamictal. Lamictal. They don't know what that is or what it means. And I would imagine not a whole lot of people 
give medications such as Lamictal and Wellbutrin and Seroquel. And to be honest, I did not even dictate to her that I was on Suboxone, whereas normally I would, but I am on such a low dose now. I am almost positive because I have been on a little bit of a higher dose than this, whereas the test for Suboxone would not even show in my system. And again, I've been on higher dosages than this, and it did not even show to the point where my doctor, because he trusted me, he let it slip, which he had by all rights should have because I was on it. But again, with me, there are certain things that will just not come up in my blood or in my urine. In my blood, I would imagine it would, but certainly not in my urine. So I failed to tell her that because it was enough of a explanation when she said, well, what do you want all these things for? And when I told her possibly schizoaffective or bipolar disorder, she looked at me like I had five heads coming out of one neck. So anyway, uh, but the doctor was very, very good. It was a really quick visit. It was just a, a peek into the ear, bam, done, boom, over with, and they are chalking it up to allergies. And they advised me to take an antihistamine, and I sucked it up, and I took an Allegra, and guess what? It did absolutely nothing for me. As a matter of fact, I think my <laughs> ears got even worse. Uh, I'm starting to feel it a little bit in the right now, which is making me feel a little bit better because at least it's kind of saying or speaking volumes to me in the sense where maybe it is my allergies. If this doesn't stop, I'm going to have to go see my dentist and ensure that the tooth, the tooth on my left-hand side, which is my last remaining tooth next to the ones that got pulled is not the one that is causing it, but I can't imagine that it is because that one has a root canal on it. So I don't know. We have to wait and see. I can tell you this. I woke up with no pain, which is good. Now, I did take three Advil before I went to bed, but no pain at all while I slept, probably because of the Advil. But those things only last about four to six hours, and it's been way over that. And it just seems as my day gets going, and I would imagine as the pollen and the whatever is causing the allergy sets in, it starts to affect my ears. My wife, on the other hand, very, very scary. She has, and she has always been very prone to mosquito bites and bug bites. And we're not getting hit here in Mr. Joe's neighborhood with a, with a multitude of bugs right now, especially mosquitoes. But something has bitten my wife, and I really believe she's going to need a visit, on, sadly, on her birthday and Mother's Day into the ER. Or not the ER, the urgent care today because she has bug bites all over her body. And when I tell you, they are one of the most disturbing uh, sights that one could ever take a look at. And, you know, I love my wife, and I love the way she looks. And, uh, but, man, it's, 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 it's rough to look at, because these are nasty. I mean, they're real. They're like big welts all over her body. I am not convinced that a bug did that. I can't imagine. But she tells me that it's happened to her before with spiders and mosquitoes. and It's just very scary. So, uh, 
I did mention that yesterday we took a trip for a birthday party. My son was with me, my daughter. Her friends were too important. Her boyfriend had his birthday, so she asked if she could stay back. And, of course, I allowed her to. You know, it's listen, it's better than her sitting at a party, hiding and going on a phone to try and communicate with her friends and being miserable while she's there. What am I going to do? Certain things she has to be around for. You know, her brother's birthday, my birthday, my wife's birthday. Those are nice things. Those are things that she should be around for. I would hope that for Father's Day she'd like to be around. Uh, but I did not make her come to this event. My son would not have wanted to miss it for the world, so he came along, and then I did drop him off last night afterwards. It was a long, long drive. It was in another state from Mr. Joe. So we drove there and took a long time to get there. There was a lot of traffic there, a lot of traffic back. We ended up picking up my wife's mom. We dropped her off on the way back. I actually dropped off my wife and little Mickey on the way back, and then I took my son back home because it was just too long of a trip for the baby. But everybody was good. Everybody had a great time. It was interesting because during the bipolar birthday party, I believe I had mentioned the aunt and the uncle that had no longer been drinking. Specifically, the uncle was no longer drinking at parties because of his drinking slash Xanax problem. So he had kind of come out in the open and said, I'm not drinking anymore and this will be the last I will be drinking at all. And unfortunately, <laughs> he must have forgotten what he told the family because I saw that man buy the case or the cooler of beer probably 15 to 18 times. Beer after beer after beer, inappropriate comment after inappropriate comment. I mean, think about this. Imagine this. Envision this. Okay, you tell me if this is funny, and I, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know, but I just I couldn't even look at anybody when this went down. Little Mickey was sitting in his high chair, and well, not his high chair. Well, his little cousin, and my wife was hanging out with him, doesn't have to feed him anymore, he feeds himself, but a lot of times she'll cut up his food for him, I believe she cut up some chicken nuggets and gave him some corn, he loves corn, he was sitting there, and my son is not a Sesame Street fan, but he does like Elmo for some reason, I try to put Sesame Street on for him all the time, and he has no interest, but every once in a blue moon he will stop, look at Elmo, and laugh. And I believe he just waits for this goldfish part to come on because he's so obsessed with animals. But he does give a smile with, uh, with Elmo. The ones, the things that he does love, he adores. His favorite thing is the Wiggles. He likes Blue's Clues. And believe it or not, and here is a secret as to where I came up with the name Mickey. His very first show that he loved was Mickey Mouse's Clubhouse. So that is my disguise name for my little son. I probably shouldn't have told my audience that because 
You might be envisioning a Mickey Mouse now as a son, but he is not a mouse, believe me when I tell you. He's a normal little boy who is actually the complete, blatant, utter, spitting image of me to the, to the point where it's actually scary. We have strangers that will come up to us, say things to my wife, and how, how frightening it is that he looks like me, whereas my other two children really do not. Nevertheless, he's at his high chair, and he sees an Elmo doll, and he points at it, and my wife sees it on the floor, and she looks, and she grabs it, and she sticks it up in his face, puts it up in his face. I came up with the word stick for the following reason you'll hear in a second. Puts it up in his face and tries to make it talk, and she can't, so the cousin turns around, and she says, you've got to turn it on. So my wife, now granted, you have to open the back of the head to turn it on. But my wife assumed, and I would assume as well, many dolls have the battery pack down by the back area. So at first, before she went to the head, she went to the back, which was very close to the behind of the animal. And this drunken moron screams out, why does Mr. Joe's wife, oh my goodness, it's always this, it's always Mr. Joe's wife, she's always going for the butthole, always sticking her finger in the butthole. This is what he says in front of the whole family. Nobody laughed, nobody said a word, nobody looked. It was the absolute most obnoxious, idiotic thing that I've ever heard. You know, some of the things he does is funny. When... The, the, this, this birthday party was for a little guy who was 10 years old. My wife's cousin, as a matter of fact, who gets along great with my son. Then there's an older one who's 12 that gets along great with my son and daughter. Uh, you know, things like the little guy would get money for his birthday, and, and the uncle would scream out, I'll hold on to the envelopes. You know, stupid things that made everybody laugh, but most people are laughing just to shut him up. Because he's just, and, and let me get it, let me tell you, he's a really great, nice guy. He's a great guy. His son is 30 years old. He has full-blown autism. And when I say full-blown, I mean in the purest sense of the word, he is the epitome of what, what autism is. And I spend most of my time with this young man. Uh, he is in Disneyland 24-7 electronics all around him. All he does is listen to his music, draw his pictures, watch his Disney movies, and place himself as a character. Yesterday, he was on a Wizard of Oz kick, and all he kept telling me about was how the scene in Wizard of Oz when Dorothy is in the house and things fly past her and what a travesty it was and how he was under the bed watching all of this. And it's just, you know, it's hysterical. And if you say to him, for example, Toto the dog, if you call Toto Donald Duck, he will yell at you and say, it's not Donald the Duck, <laughs> you blockhead. <laughs> He's hysterical, he really is. And I love him, I absolutely adore him. And I love his mom, and again, I love Mr. Mr. Inappropriate Dad, I do. I love him too, they're great people. Uh, it could be worse, let's put it that way. Or you could be like my mother, who called me time and time again. I probably got away from the story a bit. Now, while her messages were not like the ones that I played on Borderline 
and bipolar invasion, where she was cursing and yelling and screaming and insulting, she was still annoying. You know, I need to know what you're doing. I need to know if I need to take food out or not. Listen, lady, nobody even said we were coming to your house. Next message. You know, I haven't heard from you, and I understand. I just hope you're all well. God bless you all. But I need to know if you're coming. It's like that up, down, up, down. Kind of throwing in some digs over there. It's not going to be a good day unless you let me know because then I won't have food for anybody. Mr. Joe, Mr. Son Joe, please let me know. Send me an email. Send me something. Finally, yesterday I called her on the way to the other state. My wife had driven and I sat in the passenger seat. Not typical for us, but we did yesterday. And I called my mother. Hello. Hi, Ma. Oh, hi. Hi, my love. Oh, what's wrong, Mom? I had already gotten the warning from my sister. I pulled my back out. Now, usually, and this I could almost tell you, is usually her plan in, in the event that she foresees me inviting her to my home. It's her way of saying, I am not well enough to get up and out and come to you. God's honest truth, it's probably because she was on a three-day hangover. But I don't look into it. She had a reason as to why her back went out. She said one of her change jars broke. I guess a little jar that she changed, uh, you know, saves change in and it broke and all the change fell on the floor and she was on her hands and knees picking them up and I'm thinking to myself, I don't believe you. Because if I know my father, he'd be down there picking it up for her because that's what my father does. He picks up all the pieces for all the things that my mother breaks, all the lives, all the, the feelings, all the physical things, all the emotional, mental, this, that. My father's always picking up the pieces. So anyway, I said to my mother, listen, we'll stop by. I said, but, and here's the truth, guys, and I haven't, Listen, I, I believe I've reported on this, and I am not. Please don't be angry with me for those of you who are smokers, because I'll tell you right now, the vast majority of us with bipolar disorder are cigarette smokers. I was one. I smoked a lot, uh, but I quit August 13th, 2011. Had not have not had a cigarette since. Well, Butrin was a big help for me in that, and it's gone away, and I have never looked back. But my parents smoke so much in that house that it is almost unbearable, especially for my allergies and for the way the amount of smoke that's in there. Now, they won't smoke while we are there, but there is so much smoke. It's embedded in every single aspect of the house. The blinds, the, the carpeting, the walls, every present that is given to one of my children if it's, a, if it's a blanket, a pillow, a stuffed animal, it has to go in the garbage. And I feel horrible, but it goes right in the garbage because my children can't touch it. They, 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 you can actually cannot draw the smell out to the point where if my mother gives us leftovers and puts it in a, in a bin or in a Tupperware, the Tupperware actually smells like smoke. So I don't like spending a whole lot of time there. 
But my wife made a very good point because one of the first things I said to my mother is, I don't think we're staying for dinner, Mom, so don't worry about it because, I, you know, it's my wife's birthday and I want to take her out. Oh, but we want to take out mussels and clams and pasta and, and crab legs and uh, we, we, we have it all ready. And, uh, listen, I, you, never, you told me to tell you. So I said, all right, all right. So I said, we'll see. So she puts you in that position, that awkward position where you just can't even say no. And my wife's looking at me and she's like, she whispers, she goes, what's the difference? If we're going to be there, we're going to smell like smoke anyway. If we're there for five minutes or an hour or two hours. And she's right. You know what? I guess maybe we'll go there. We'll leave about three. Her mother is coming here. Mr. Joe's neighborhood right now. It's about six o'clock in the morning. Started doing this podcast about 5.40 or so. I've been up since 5 o'clock on the dot. People think I'm crazy. My wife is still sleeping. Mickey's still sleeping. The dogs are still sleeping. But here I am on Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast for my audience. And that's okay because it's it's a perfect time to talk to everybody. Probably going to have to wrap it up soon because I want to be able to be awake and be able to um, kiss my wife hello and give her a hug and check on those bug bites when she wakes up. I don't want to be up here doing a podcast. But I did want to say that one of the things that I've noticed, unfortunately, is, and this is in speaking to several people at work, this is actually what my podcast was supposed to be about today, and, I, and I'd like to address it. It's becoming more and more evident to me and more and more disturbing to me, and I'm sure I've touched on this in the past, that Bipolar disorder is causing more and more divorce and relationship problems than I could have ever imagined in my entire life. And maybe it's because I now know that I have bipolar disorder and I've admitted it, that I can see the relationships that revolve around bipolar disorder and how, how devastating a relationship can be. But I talked to a co-worker the other day and it was interesting because she was FaceTiming with her husband. Now, granted, this co-worker had been complaining for a number of days about the way that her husband was treating her. She had mentioned that there was one night that she fell asleep in the den with her daughter on the couch. They work separate shifts. He works nights, she works days. And I believe that he had to get up for work that evening. And they weren't in bed. And he came down the steps and he was loud and he was obnoxious. And she kind of woke up and she was startled. And he started yelling at her. Sorry, I can't get ready for work. What is this? Sorry to disturb your sleep. Just mean, rude things. And she, pro she said to herself in the middle of the night, she said, here we go. Here's the switch, the flip of the switch. The irritability. And it's amazing because... For days and days before that, she had to rein him in, in terms of his spending spree. Sneakers, numerous pairs of sneakers, that's all he wanted to buy was sneakers. Then he was on this kick where he wanted to buy different kind of uh, household items, vacuums. Uh, what's that thing called? The bullet that you mix the drinks in. Um, TVs. They didn't need a new TV. They just got a new TV. TVs, and she's reining him in, and I'm I'm explaining to her, and I'm coaching her on how 
to do all of this and explaining to her that this is how you feel when you're, when you're hypomanic slash manic. And I gave her the warning. I said, if he's anything like me, which, by the way, he is exactly like me when I was unmedicated, I said, the next thing he's going to do is get irritable. And so sure as anything, she comes in and she says, I can't believe it. You were right. Last night it started. Yeah. He wouldn't even kiss me goodbye. He wouldn't even say goodbye. He was just mad at me for no reason. And this went on for a few weeks. And now I'm sitting in my office and he FaceTimes her. And I had not gotten a chance to catch up with her in terms of where he was in his mood. But here is the statement I heard. I heard, you know... Life is so beautiful, you've got to be grateful for everything you have. And I am so in love with you and my daughter. Just so in love with you guys lately. And my, my co-worker, so, she is so nasty. She, That's nice. That's great. And he's like, what's wrong with you? I guess because she's so fed up. So she hangs up. And I say, well, I guess he's in his good mood now. And she goes, yeah, it's been coming for a day or so now. And her question to me was, how do I keep him in this mood? <laughs> and I said, listen, unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. I said, it doesn't work like that. Now, I do believe there are certain things that you can do as a partner to prevent a person from either dipping down into a full-blown episode. Now, you're always going to fall into an episode or at least getting there quicker because if you don't know by now, Bipolar disorder, mood swings are encouraged or produced or uh, exasperated by stress. So if you as a partner can minimize the amount of stress that you instill into your partner by not being nasty, by not being combative, by not being condescending, by not being sarcastic, a lot of times you can keep a person on a somewhat even keel. Now, unfortunately, they're always going to end up into that mood swing, but how deep they get into it does not always depend just on their chemicals, depends on the way that people treat them and the circumstances in life around them. The problem is you can treat them so well that the unfortunate thing is because they are dipping down into that depression or falling into that or rising up into that mania, they're so sensitive to the surroundings and life in general, that even if you're perfect on your most perfect behavior, it doesn't matter. Something in life is going to probably stress, stress them out enough where it's going to throw them into that mood swing and then it's automatically going usually to be thrown onto you as the partner. You are usually the punching bag. We are the punching bag, not the bipolar person, the person who is supposed to be supportive the loving one, the caring one, they're the punching bag. The closest person to the person with bipolar is the one who's always wrong, the one who has it in for everybody, the one who has it in for the person with bipolar. You're mean, you're nasty, you're not loving, you're not caring what's wrong with you. What it comes down to is when you have bipolar disorder and you're not medicated, and I explain this to my coworker, he does not realize that he is sick he has no idea. He doesn't get it. So now her solution was, what if I do a baseline? And a baseline means it's almost a term that we use from a behavior analytical standpoint. With baselines, you are analyzing a behavior. 
And when you take a baseline, you just allow the behavior to happen. In other words, you don't reinforce the behavior. Let's take, for example, a child is getting up out of his seat and falling to the floor. You could react to that many, many ways. You could pick the child up quickly and put him back onto the floor, which, by the way, if the child has autism, I would automatically recommend that. Lift him up under the arms, put him back in the chair. Don't say a word, no eye contact, no verbal, no nothing. And do it immediately. As soon as they fall down, boop, up, and, and back, standing or sitting into that position. Got to do it a thousand times, possibly, if you have to. The more you talk, the more they're going to fall. The more attention that you give, the more they're going to fall. So you up in that chair, boom. Now, the other way you could respond is you could get, you stand up. What are you doing? Get off that floor. And in, in both instances, you're giving a reaction. There's a consequence there. With a baseline, you're simply allowing a behavior to happen, and you are not doing anything about it, and you're taking data on that behavior. And you're seeing exactly how often it, it occurs, what does it occur afterwards, you know, is it, there a demand placed on the child, that's why they fell, is it just they're just looking for attention so they fell to the floor. These are the things you track, and the only way you could track them is by taking a baseline because your response to something will oftentimes influence a behavior. So you want to take a baseline, figure out exactly what's happening, and that's when you start to, after the baseline is when you include your interventions, your strategies, and you start to try to handle the situation. That's how you're able to see what works and what doesn't. And then you take data on that as well. So what she wanted to do was take a baseline, meaning, but she wanted to use the baseline in a way where her only response, which is not actually a baseline, because again, you're, you don't ever give a response, but an altered baseline in the sense where she would force herself to be positive no matter what went on in her life with her husband. No matter how he treated her, no matter what he said, no matter what he did, she would spin everything on a positive note. In other words, if he's manic and he goes to buy something, her response would usually be, are you out of your mind? We don't have money for that. What's wrong with you? We already own that. Instead, her response would be, honey, why don't we think about this? We'll talk about it tomorrow. You know, let's not make such an impulsive decision. Which, by the way, when you're bipolar, a lot of times that does not work because you think the person is out to get you. What do you mean? You're not. A, we need this. What's wrong with you? How could you think this? You know, you want to live without this? <laughs> we don't understand. So that's the baseline she wanted to, to, to do. If 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 he's mean to her, she would kind of laugh it off, and. Again, she just wanted to do this because she wanted to take a real good look at what exactly, as long as it wasn't her, what was, what was stressing him out, what was causing his mood swings, how long they would last, because she doesn't track any of that. Uh, how long he's manic, is he hypersexual when he is in certain ways? Uh, does he come after her sexually only when he's in a manic state of mind? She wanted to track all these things, but she felt like she could never get a good read on it because she was so combative with him that what might have been just an irritable manic state for him would oftentimes turn into an all-out war because she would feed into it. And then at that point, she didn't even know what was going on. What she did know is that that would ultimately lead to depression, 
guilt and just the overall feeling of sadness on his part, which, by the way, to me sounds like ups and downs, bipolar disorder. Now, what I explained to my co-worker is that it was probably not going to work, unfortunately, because one of the hardest things to do for somebody, for a loved one who is trying to be supportive, is to be supportive when you do not, when you have a partner who refuses to see the truth. She will not even bring the word up bipolar to him other than the fact that his father was bipolar when he was alive, and she will mention that often. She will say, you know, your father had bipolar disorder. I wonder, you know, wonder what might be wrong with you without saying it. And he doesn't even get it. He doesn't even mention it. He don't even say, doesn't even turn around and say, you know what, you're right. He has absolutely no idea. He's dead against medication, will not even think about medication. When he's sick, physically sick, he doesn't even want to take an antibiotic, doesn't believe in it. So she is fighting. It's, it's a no-win situation. And what I did do was I said, maybe one day what you got to do is turn on Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast and let him listen. And she said, you know, that's all well and good, but if I don't know what kind of mood he's in, he would turn around and say, what are you listening to that for? What are you implying? Or could get as crazy as, and I've been there, done that, what do you like this guy? <laughs> what, what is this, someone you want to be with? And so, you know, th what it comes down to again is you can be supportive of somebody with bipolar disorder, a loved one, a care, somebody that you care for, if that person is aware of their illness and is willing to work at that illness, it's just not possible unless they discover the bipolar disorder for themselves. The person with bipolar disorder is always right. You are wrong. You can never tell me. There is no analyzing the situation. We are short-tempered. When the conversation is over, it's over. No, I don't want to talk it out. No, I don't want to listen to your side. I will fake it until I make it. I understand what you're saying. Oh, yeah, I get it. You're right. You're right. And, and then they keep going. No, I, don't, I said you were right. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I'm done with this conversation. How many times has us with bipolar disorder have we said to our partner, I am done with this conversation because we are feeling our blood boil inside and we don't want to we don't want to cross over that barrier we're saying to ourselves you know what i'm keeping it together i'm keeping it together for the sake of this relationship but she's driving me nuts or he's driving me crazy and i'm gonna i'm gonna snap and then all of a sudden what's wrong with you how could you make me feel this way how could you put me in this mood you put me in this mood and by the way just when you think you're out of the woods, I'll give you an example. Here I am, Mr. Medicated Bipolar Joe. I think I've spoken to everybody about the fact that my wife and myself are riding a bus on separate occasions to help a child with autism, very aggressive young man. And there is another gentleman on that bus. There is a nurse on that bus for the seizure disorder, but there is also another man on this bus for a crisis. Nice guy. I had a lot in common with him. We went to the same college. Great guy. 
but my wife had explained to me the other day that they were talking and chatting and he uh, she ended up seeing somebody at the school that knew me and the person that knew me had brought up you know me in front of this guy and the guy said to my wife oh, I didn't know Mr. Joe was your husband and, and, and the old Mr. Joe would turn around and been like well what is he asking you that for and let me tell you something he, he texted her the other day to let her know that this young man was unfortunately not going to be around in school because of the seizures they got so bad he had to go to the hospital and there was a part of me my, where my blood started to boil because the old Mr. Joe again would have been like, why does he have her number? Why is he texting her? But I was able to rationalize and say, why? Because they work together. I rode the bus with this guy. He's not, probably not interested in my wife. And if he is, I guess I look at it as a compliment and know that my wife is being completely faithful to me. But you know what? We're not out of the woods because there was still, and maybe it's natural jealousy. Uh, I guess the good thing is I didn't I didn't grab her phone and look through it and I'm not looking at it and analyzing it and but there is a part of me that paranoid part of me that says to myself that they were talking and she was enjoying it and she was laughing with him and they were having a conversation without me and I don't like it and I could be honest enough with my audience I don't like it I don't like it and there is a small part of me that will say to myself, she is preparing to have an affair. And if she comes home late from the bus one day, is it because they were in traffic? Or is it because she's hanging out with this guy afterwards? Don't even get me started. See how our minds work? Again, my wife has never done a single thing in the world to make me feel like she would be unfaithful. But this is just the way that we think when we have bipolar disorder. For what it's worth, I'm doing well, and it's going to be a good day today. And even if it was not going to be a good day, it is my wife's birthday, it is Mother's Day, and I absolutely have to make it a good day. So talk about faking it when you make it. Uh, got no choice but to do it today. But thankfully, I'm in a good mood. Again, I want to wish all the moms out there a happy Mother's Day. Um, if you are doing well and you're living with a mental illness, I want you to continue to work hard. If you love or care somebody care about somebody with a mental illness, I want you to continue to support that person, no matter how hard it might be. And if you are struggling right now with a mental illness, if you are really, really struggling, I need you to keep fighting. You've got to keep battling. And most importantly, I need you to soldier on. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. And thank you again for listening to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. See you in a couple days, guys. Thanks again.